Everybody say hi, Jeff. Gosh, you make me feel so welcome. Thank you. You guys are the best. Man, so good at that. Uh, so my name's Jeff. Uh, I uh, have been married for 25 years. I have three kids. Uh, I have a 23-year-old who just got married. I have a 20-year-old and a 13-year-old daughter. And what's interesting about our family makes me think about this church. Uh, we adopted our daughter when she was four years old, and we got the opportunity to rename her. And what I think is really cool about this church, because I've gotten to be a part of a full journey, I've known uh, Tim and Jaya for since the beginning, is that's kind of what's been going on here. That the Lord is doing a new thing, and he's brought together families, and they're learning. I don't know, when we adopted our daughter, it was like not the easiest, right? But you learn to come together as a family. You learn to grow with one another, and that's what I love that is happening here, is this is a family that God has put together for a mission that we would come to know one another, but more importantly, that we would come to know the Lord and allow other people to come to know him. That's why this is happening. That's what this is all about. And that's why I really, really do absolutely love this church and love what God is doing. So I'm so grateful for this local church. I'm so grateful for your senior pastor and the work that he is doing here in this church and throughout the city, the Lord is doing is a really beautiful thing. And everybody said, amen. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Genesis 4 is where we are going to be today. And uh, what I would like you to do over the next five minutes is I would like you to open your Bibles. Uh, you can do that on your phone, your tablet. You've got them in the back of the row. And I would love for you to read Genesis 4 on your own. And then I'm going to ask you some questions afterwards to which you will respond. Um, but read Genesis 4 on your own. Ask, I'm just going to pray right now that the Spirit of God shows you through the Word of God uh, what it is that He wants you to hear today. So Spirit of the living God, as your people open your word, would you teach us? You're the one who teaches us. You're the one who helps us. You're the one who knows us. And so as your people open your word and read your word, would you bring it to light? Would you convict hearts? Would you comfort those in need? Would you do the work that only you can do? We are trusting you in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So take the next five minutes or so and just read through this chapter by yourself, Genesis 4. It'll also be on the screen.
All right, this is the word of God, and everybody said, amen. Uh, so I was a youth pastor for 10, 10 years, and uh, being a youth pastor, junior high youth pastor specifically, I loved working with junior hires. They're crazy. They're world changers. Um, and I loved working with them, but, you know, a part of being in youth ministry is you go to camp. So I went to camp, and uh, we, were, we were up in uh, uh, at Forest Home up in the Big Bear Mountains in California. So we're up there. It's really beautiful. And... Um, we were in the river playing. I, I cut the bottom of my foot on like a rock. And then, you know, you're doing camp things. I'm like, it's fine. It's no big deal. But on the bottom of your foot's never fun. And so, you know, you go shower, but, you know, camp showers are not all that great if you know anything about that. So I come back home and about a week into coming home from camp, my foot's starting to bother me. I'm like, man, something's not right. Like it kind of hurts. And my wife says, uh, you should go to the doctor. Now, I am a blue collar I'm Gen X, but I'm probably operate more like a boomer. And when your wife, you scrape the bottom of your foot and your wife says you should go to the doctor, guys, your response is what? I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's no big deal. It'll heal up. So week two comes around and I'm limping a little bit, right? Like it hurts a lot, but it's okay, right? Because it's just got to work itself out. It's just got to work it out. And so, you know, I, I, my wife once again goes, you really should get that checked out. And I said, what? I'm fine. It's fine. It'll work itself out. It's okay. Uh, week three, I'm limping like, like this, like, and she's like, seriously, bro, go to the doctor, go get it uh, checked out to which I responded. It's okay. It'll work itself out. It's not that big a deal. It's just on the bottom of my foot. And that's really sensitive. And so week four, she's like, you have to go to, you can barely drive the car. You need to go to the doctor. So finally, because I love my wife a month later, I go to the doctor. And I walk into like our general doctor and I walk in, I take, he says, take off your, you know, your sock and your shoe. I, I take off my sock and my shoe. And he goes, oh my gosh, you need to go to the emergency room right now. So I go to the emergency room. I call my wife on the way. And it was like one of those conversations you have with your spouse. Like, would you think you idiot? Like, of course. So what I've been trying to say all along. So we go to the emergency room and she meets me there. They hit me with some morphine, which apparently means something's bad. And so she sit, the, the doctor sits down with my wife and I, and he said, uh, your husband has MRSA. Okay, so I don't know a lot about medical things, but I do know this. MRSA, as far as infections goes, bad, like dead bad, okay? So I got MRSA uh, from the shower at the camp, and it's now been in my body for a month. And so he looks at my wife and I, he goes, we're not sure how bad this is, but we may have to amputate his leg. As you all know, this thing's rocking right now, okay? So you got to get the end of the story. But so what has gone on is this infection has gotten in and what they had to do is cut a dime-sized hole in the bottom of my foot and they had to get out all that infection. And then it took a month. We had a nurse come to our home and they had to pack it so it would heal from the inside out. This is what sin does. This is what sin does. This is what's happening. In Genesis 1, God makes everything good. Why? Because he's good. He can't help but make things good. Goodness exists because God exists. And the church said, 
Amen. That's who he is. He can't help but making good things because it flows out of his nature. What we find in Genesis 1 and 2 is God's goodness on display, creating good things. Humanity is at the top of that, made in his image's likeness. And in Genesis 3 that you learned last week, a fracture happens with what God makes good, sin. Satan deceives humanity, plays this game with us that he's still playing to this very day. And we keep biting on that hook. And it fractures all that God makes good. Where humanity is free, they now live in shame, covering themselves. And in Genesis 4, what we find is a mother and a father, Adam and Eve, with this new disposition, this new fracture. But new life is still coming out of it. They have two sons. But these two sons are born into a condition that they themselves did not have when they were born when they were designed. But the hope and the desire, if you've had children, you know what this feels like. That child comes out and you are going, God, do something great with these two. And this was especially true for Adam and Eve. And what we find in Genesis 4 is that sin does not just stop in Genesis 3, that it scales. It moves forward. And it keeps scaling. And you see this problem that's arising, not just between Cain and Abel, but God. There is a problem here. And sin begins to continue to start scaling. And I I find it so interesting about sin. Like, what's actually going on here? And I find it so bizarre that God gave us a choice. You have free will. That is an amazing gift from God. I'm telling you what, if I was God, I would not have given us this choice because I'm a parent. I would love to behavior modify my children, right? I remember my dad. I remember my dad and I would go, look, I'm sad. He goes, no, I'll tell you how you feel, right? (laughs) Those are the good old days, right? We just told our kids, no, 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 you shut your mouth. I'll tell you how you feel, how you act, what you should do right? And then you should kind of turn out in the end okay, right? That felt like a good plan. That feels good. Unfortunately, if you're a parent, you know, that just doesn't work out so well, right? But God in his goodness gives us a choice, free will. And here's what we find is Adam and Eve expressing their free will and sin comes and now Cain is now entering in his opportunity to express that free will. In verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. I imagine as the Lord is saying this, it's grieving his heart that he has to talk about this. This wasn't the plan, but sin keeps scaling. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, 
but you must rule over it. Cain, like us, sinful in nature, is struggling with this dynamic between he and his brother. There is a jealousy that's coming over him that is causing him to be angry. And he's at the crossroads of a choice that so many of us have day in and day out, a crossroads of a decision of what we will do in the midst of this decision. How, what will we do? And what I find so interesting, and I don't know if you've seen this, is that God asks questions. You ever notice that in this passage? He just asks questions. He's trying to help awaken us to something. He says to him, why, why are you angry? Why, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? And then after Cain murders Abel, he says, where is your brother? What have you done? All these questions that God is answering. You know, in chapter three, it's the same thing with Adam and Eve. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Is God oblivious to what is happening? Is he out of connection to which he's like, wait, I had no idea any of this was going on. What is he doing here? What is happening here? God keeps asking questions. And what I find is so interesting, where we expect God to make statements, he asks a question. I mean, think about this. Job, if you've read through the book of Job, it's a real feel-good story, okay? If you've read through the book of Job, you're going to find a God that you're like, what is up? Like, he's not a bad guy. I actually said he was he was good in the sight of God. And yet God allowed all these horrible things to happen to him. And then he's got these friends, and I use that term lightly, who just make his life miserable. And so finally you start getting to the end of Job and Job's like, God, what in the world? He's demanding for some kind of justice. And instead of God going, I'll tell you justice and giving it to him, he responds to Job with what? 77 questions. No, God, make a statement. Tell me why all this is happening. God asks the question. Well, this continues in the New Testament. Where we think, oh, that must be the Old Testament thing. No, it continues in the New Testament. Jesus asks 307 questions. He is asked, 183 questions to which he only responds to three. He only answers three. Isn't this frustrating? Tell me what to do. Call me out, oh divine. Kick me in the teeth if I'm screwing up or making mistakes because we believe that Jesus is a CIA agent kicking down the door of our souls. Coming in. No, no, no. No, 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 no. He's drawing out our sin state. Drawing it out. Hey, hey, Abel, Arcane, can we, can we talk about that anger problem? Where'd that come from? What, what's going on here? Hey, Jeff, can we talk about that insecurity you have? Can we talk about that significance issue that you've been struggling with? Can we talk about that? 
We talk about why you've been lying so much. Why are you hiding? Jeff, why? Jeff, Jeff, why are you hiding? See, some of you are just waiting for God to tell you what to do. And he's asking you questions. Your soul is full of questions from the divine, from God the Father, through the Spirit asking you questions about why you're doing what you're doing. Why? Because he's drawing out that sin state that is corrupting what's happening. And this is what's going on with Cain. This is what's happening with Adam and Eve. This is what's happening with us. And the God of the universe is inviting us. He's not imposing himself on us. He's inviting us in questioning our intentions, why we're doing what we're doing, why we're living the why we're living, why we keep faking it. Sometimes my, I just worry about Sunday mornings. Because are we really being honest about what's really going on inside of us? Or are we just all faking it? We're just playing a game and showing up here because this is what you should do. And look, I'm glad you're here. And you should keep coming here. And you should tithe. No. <laughs> um, but the Lord is trying to use these times together to draw out what's going on inside. My son, who's 20, uh, last year, I was driving his car and something wasn't right. Like, it, like anytime you sped up too much, it, like the back end went like this. And I was like, hey, hey, bud, like, did you hit like a curb with your car or something? No. It's interesting because the whole back end of it's like this. When, no. So without him knowing it, we took it to the mechanic for the mechanic to diagnose. And the mechanic calls my wife and I back and he, and he says, I have to ask you a question about your car. What's going on with it? He said, has anyone drifted this car. We responded with, of course not. Who would drift a 2008 Toyota Prius? Who would do that? Who would do such a thing? Well, it's going to be $1,500 to fix it because he's blown out the axle and the braking system. So we go home to our son and go, hey, have you ever drifted the Prius? Have you ever drifted? No. Are you sure? No, 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 no. Oh, you haven't? Well, the car's in the mechanic, and he seems to think that somebody's been drifting the Prius. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I did. Okay, well, how did you do such a thing? I didn't even know Priuses. How? How? They're run by batteries. Like, how? True story. We put two cookie sheets under the back wheels. In the church parking lot. Which just felt insulting. Like, double down in the house of the Lord in his parking lot. How could you? Could you do such a thing? He's draw, we, were, we were drawing out. Confess, Cooper, that you made an idiot teenage move. But he wasn't. He was hiding that inside. And I think so many of us do the same thing. And I think in, in, in the context of this passage, there's something we have to talk about as well. 
Parents, your kids let you down. It's just a part of parenting. You desire the greatness. Imagine for Adam and Eve how deeply they desired for Cain to begin a legacy and yet failure. And so many of you are wearing the failures of your children and it's breaking your heart. But here's the thing, it's not your sin, it's their sin. They will stand before God and give an account. We have to confess our sin. They have to confess their sin. You see a broken family as a result of sin scaling. And I, I wanna say this, I know some of you, this is a deep wound and it's so heavy. And I want you to know, I really am so sorry for so many of you who know the pain of children who have disappointed you. And I want you to know, Adam and Eve do too. They know that pain. They know that hurt. They've seen that sin. And it's fractured and it's broken. And it's almost like God saying to Cain here and saying to you and I, Cain, as you act out and into your sin, you are making a destructive deposit in the depravity of all creation. You keep the scaling going. You're not stopping it. And if you start reading through Genesis and you're about to continue to go through it, it doesn't get better. It just can So I wanna give you this. This is bad news. Sin is bad news. It's bad news. It's not good news. It's bad news. And some of you have believed and allowed yourself to take on this Western philosophy that your sin is just yours. That it's just my struggle. Tell that to Adam and Eve. It's not, there is no such thing as a secret sin. God sees the hearts of every single person that he has allowed to live and breathe in this world. He sees you, he knows you. Sin is scaling and we need to get honest about what's really going on here. What's happening inside of us and it is not good news, it is bad news. Paul trying to yet let this young Rome church know about what is going on says this in chapter one, Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them, Cain, look at all that I've done. Look at what sin has done, Cain. Look how it is crouching before you for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So there is no excuse so they are without excuse. We are without excuse. None of us show up to heaven and go, God, but you don't understand. God, but my wife was just so. God, but my husband was so. God, you don't understand my dad. God, you don't understand my mom. 
You don't understand. I was predisposed towards. There is no excuse. For although they knew God, Cain knew God. That's why God comes to him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, listen, futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. Hey, Cain, be careful. Be careful. Sin is crouching at the door of your heart. You must overcome it. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, I think this is one of the most terrifying passages in all of scripture. Therefore, God released them, gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the, crea- crea- uh, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. God releases us to our sin. You want that? You wanna go murder your brother? I'm not gonna stop you. You wanna continue in that secret sin? I'm not gonna stop you. You wanna continue to lie? I'm not gonna stop you. I'm going to release you over to the desires of your heart. That should terrify us. Because you know what's being fractured here is relationship, union. The real tragic thing here, yes, Cain killed his brother. The real tragic thing is broken union with the father. You know, the real tragic thing is All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. And that's why Paul has to continue in Romans to this church that he loves. And that's why I have to continue this morning with a church I really do love. With Romans 6.23, verse A, for the wages of sin is death. Death. Satan wants death to the church, death to Christians, death to anyone who has life and breath, separation from the Father and his love, death and destruction. That is what he desires for you. That is what he desires for me. As you start studying through Genesis, what you will see over and over and over again is this. And it pleases Satan so much. And we keep pretending like sin isn't a bad thing. Like we can keep dancing around this issue without realizing it's scaling. Sin isn't just staying in a box, it continues to move and grow. And it's death. That same eight, 19 year, 18 year old boy who was drifting a Prius was diagnosed with cancer when he was eight years old. And here's the weird thing about it, like healthy kid. He fell off a sink because that's the kind of kid he is. He hurt himself. So he took him to the hospital. They just did some blood work. It was just some random thing. They came back to us through a string of like crazy ups and downs. We went to Phoenix Children's Hospital and they said, he's got cancer and it's back. But look at him. 
Look how he's an active kid. He's not losing hair. He's not sickly. Look at him. This is what the Lord is looking at Cain's heart. He is looking at the corruption that's happening inside of him. He's seeing the scaling that's happening. And he's trying his best through questions to open up the eyes of his heart. That's why Proverbs 4 says, guard your hearts because it affects everything you do. Everything you do. So the question is this, where's the hope? Where is the hope? Sometimes, oftentimes, we need to deal with the bad news in order to get to the good news. Don't you agree? I, I didn't know what to do with Good Friday for a very long time. I've been a Christian my whole life. I would say I was like birthed in the church. I think my mom would have delivered me in a church building if she could have, right? And Good Friday bothered me. I just, let's get through this because I already know the truth. Resurrection Sunday's there. And what the Lord has been trying to reveal to me as I grow in my relationship with him is go to the cross on Good Friday. Go deal with what happened there, Jeff. Why are you so afraid of Good Friday? Because I'm afraid of confronting the sin that lives inside of me and what it did to Jesus. Just get me to the good stuff. But here's the thing. Resurrection Sunday isn't as good unless you deal with Good Friday. Good Friday prepares our hearts for the depravity that lays inside of us, that's causing destruction, the scaling that's happening in sin. We stand before the cross and goes, I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't fix the problem. I couldn't do enough good. There is no balancing act in heaven. It's just the wages of sin is death. I don't know what to do, Lord. He goes, I know. Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them. They know not what they did. And he who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that we can become the righteousness of God. You couldn't do it on your own. I couldn't do it on my own. And we all got to stand before the cross and go, Jesus, it's you. It's you who did it. I couldn't do it. Isaiah says that all my good deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God. I've got nothing to offer you. I just need you. I just need you, Jesus. So you got to deal with Good Friday so that we can celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And Isaiah is trying to awaken us. The prophet is trying to awaken us to see. Open your eyes, church. Open your eyes, people. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Are you blind to the work of what Jesus is doing? To the questions he's asking your hearts? in the scaling of the sin that's been happening in each and every one of our lives, do you not perceive what he's doing? He's doing a new thing. Everybody should say, amen. <laughs> like, this has been so heavy. I'm like so tight, right? He's doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That's what he's doing through his son, Jesus. The wildernesses of your heart, the ocean that crashes over you of your sins, he has made a way through his son, Jesus, which is the hope of Genesis 4 and 5 is this, Genesis 3, 15. 
where God gives a prophecy, even in the midst of this sin, he is going to send a savior who will destroy sin, crush Satan. And as we look at the depravity, as we look at what happens in the genealogies, what we look for is that Messiah, that prophecy being fulfilled all throughout the prophets looking for it. As Isaiah's talking about this, he's like, he's coming, he's coming. He's on the way. Hope is on the way. Jesus is here. He has come. He has risen. And so we should receive that free gift of grace that covers a multitude of our sins. Hope is on the way. In this world, you will suffer, but take heart. You know what that word really means in the Greek? Chill out. Relax. Take heart. I've overcome the world. All along the way, the good news, as sin scales, God's promises prevail. God's promises defeat whatever sin tried to to allow to cause us death. That's why we now can read in Romans 3, 6, 23, verse B, for the wages of sin is death, but the conjunction leads us to a new reality. There's the hope. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life, not death. Life and life to the full. To those who say, sin no longer will you scale in my life. I'm a son and daughter of the most high God and I plan to live that way. I plan to live in light of the fact of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that I could not do it on my own. That sin wanted to hold me down and had every right to it. But Jesus intervened on my behalf that the genealogies is only a declaration from heaven that Jesus is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he is. He is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And that's where we find our hope. And by the way, if you're trying to find your hope in some kind of politician, you will be deeply disappointed. If you are hoping that America will solve everything for you, you will be in despair. It's Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. And we have to get comfortable with that. We've got to deal with the sin in our lives. These false attachments that are just destroying us. The sin that is scaling, that we become blind to and awaken to our eyes the fact he's done a new thing through his son, Jesus. And that new thing is available to all of us, life and life to the full. He says, after seeing Zacchaeus come to know Jesus, I came to seek and save the lost. Where are you at? Are you listening to the questions that God has been asking of your heart for your whole life? Are you hoping that some news feed solves your problems, some social, me- social media algorithm, some leader, some policy will save your life, will make you better? Listen to what he's been speaking to you your whole life. And repent. You know what repentance is? 
Repentance is a military term. I'm walking this way. Repentance, it's a stop and a turn. What am I turning away from and turning to? I'm turning away from sin that's causing death. And I move to Jesus Christ, life and life to the full. That is the decision that every person gets to make. That is the free will being exercised. Instead of murdering Abel, I turn to Jesus and I accept life and life to the full. I, uh, when I first came down to Phoenix, we were helping a church get planted. And I was working construction in Casa Grande. I was a, a foreman for a construction crew and doing dry utility down in Casa Grande during the boom, I think 2005, six, somewhere in there. Real special times, okay? I moved from Chicago to Arizona and started working in the desert. I was like, what have you done to me, God? Right? And so one night I'm driving home and we lived in Maricopa um, and there's a long stretch of highway in between Casa Grande and, high, and it's just completely pitch dark. So I'm driving home, I have the work truck and I see this car in front of me and we're just driving along, it's just him and I. All of a sudden I see his car go up in the air, the back lights and, and crash and skid. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy just crashed his car. So I pull up in my work truck and I, and, I, and I get out and the guy is upside down in his car and the seatbelt is around his neck and he's choking. And I'm like, what do I do? Now I'm not a paramedic, so I'm pretty sure everything I did at this point was wrong. But I, I was like, oh, I had a pocket knife. I, got, I bought a brand new pocket knife that morning and I ran and I went into the, the truck and, I, and I, I, I went into the truck and then I went into the car and, and I cut the seatbelt. But as I cut him, I was holding him with my leg. And I like let him down, rolled him down and then pulled him out of the car because fluids were everywhere. So I'm like, what is happening right now, right? And so I had a, co- uh, a coat because it was a little cold and I was wrapping up in my coat. I called 911. And all these cars, it was weird. All these cars were driving by and they just kept driving by. So it's just me and this dude out in the middle of nowhere going like, what's gonna happen? So finally, I ended up, I looked in his phone and I saw like daughter. So I called and it was his daughter. I said, your father's been in a really bad accident. I called 911. I don't know what hospital to take him. I'll give him your number. So all of a sudden the helicopter comes in, the police come in and I kind of back out. And I'm like driving home and just going like, what has just happened? And here's what I thought about. That guy didn't wake up that morning believing that he needed to be rescued. He didn't wake up going, I think I'm gonna, and he could have rejected the rescue, but he didn't, and he lived. And you can't be saved unless you know you need saving. You can't be saved until you start realizing that this sin that is in your life, my life, that it is for death, it's trying to kill us and we need a savior. We need saving. We can't do it on our own. Some of you've tried and that's not worked out well for you. Some of you will continue to try and you will come to find out what many people do. It doesn't work. That's why we have the highest rates of depression. It's all the craziness because the more we tell people you do you, your truth, the farther they move away from the heart of the Father and into the depravity that's been scaling all this time. We need saving. 
And here's what I'm going to say. Some of you need to say for the first time, need to say, I need saving. I need a savior. I knew something was off and I feel these questions in my soul and I need saving. Scripture says this. If you confess him with your mouth, if you confess your sins with your mouth, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what I want to tell you. When Jesus looks at me and those of us who have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And some of you need to receive this free gift of grace this morning. Scripture also says, if you acknowledge me here on earth, I will acknowledge you in heaven. If you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you realize you need saving, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. If you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never prayed this in your life and you're saying, I need Jesus, I know this is weird. I'm standing in front of all these people, I get it. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna pray with you. So just keep standing and close your eyes so it's not as awkward. Just confess out loud. You can pray it in your mind. You can say it out loud if you'd like. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you that you see me. You don't see my sin. Thank you that you allowed your son to die on the cross to rescue me. I choose to live my life for you. Amen. All right, so here's what else we're going to do. Just keep standing. There's a bunch of you in here who I believe need to repent. As I was speaking about sin and secret sins and hiding things or things you just struggle with, I feel like there are people that need to stand and repent. So if that's you, stand If you have some things that are going on that you're like, I'm so tired of hiding and I need grace that covers the multitude of sins. I need his mercies that are new every morning. And then we declare as a church, great is his faithfulness. So pray with me, Father God, I am your child. Please forgive me of my sins as you already have. Give me the courage to live the life that you've called me to live, to be a light unto the nations. Protect me from the evil one. Continue, Spirit of God, to be humid in my life, to move me forward, to be like your son, Jesus. 
Today, I confess my sin to you and before your people. Thank you that your grace covers a multitude of sins. Amen. Let's celebrate what the Lord did this morning. Amen. Can you grab a seat? You know, I love your mission statement, and it's what we just went through today. It's this. We are an imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus, which means this. We understand that sin exists, but one is greater who covers it all. Amen. And now what we do next with this is we live into it and live out of it. And for those of you who stand, thank you for modeling for modeling what it is to be okay, to not be okay. Thank you for modeling what I believe the local church is called to be. This is how we become a city on the hill. As we stop living in shame and we start moving forward in who he's called us to be and what he's called us to do. I want you to know I'm with you on this journey. I do not have this figured out. I am the chief of all sinners. I know your pastor and I know he believes the same thing. And what God is doing at this local church, I believe is really important. And what we all went through this morning, I think is really important, but don't forget through the reading of God's word and the inspiration of the spirit of God and the conviction of the spirit of God moves his people towards the heart of Jesus for his glory and his honor. And everybody said, amen. As it is on earth, as it is in heaven, Lord, We pray kingdom come and will be done. You saw me, Lord, how I just struggled with whether I was going to present the gospel. You see the insecurity in me and you're so gracious towards me. Thank you, Spirit, that you were relentless the whole time I was up here, that you had me confront that part of me who was worried that maybe people wouldn't respond but it's not my work, it's yours, be done. And we pray that over this local church, God, you would, you who began the work would continue to the end. It's your work and it's your glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, everybody proclaims, amen.